0: Hello legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today we're catching up with Cub member Matthew Brown. Matt came from humble beginnings and has become one of Australia's most successful tech entrepreneurs. He's successfully exited multiple businesses. He's one of the very few Australians to ever go through the famous Y Combinator program in the US, which is basically the greatest startup venture fund on the planet that's launched most of the big tech businesses you know today. Matt now uh, is the head of Black Nova Venture Capital, which is a venture capital firm that focuses in investing in B2B tech software companies. Their firm now has over 50 staff and has invested in 40 plus businesses over the past 24 months. He's an incredible guy. We can all learn a lot from this conversation. So enjoy the show. Matt, welcome to the show. So you were just telling me that you've got your own podcast.
1: I do, yes. What's it called? It's called Net Positive uh, by Upflowy. Oh, what does that mean? So basically, uh, we run a growth marketing podcast for product-led growth companies. Uh, The focus of the podcast is that uh, every marketing interaction should have a net positive impact on your revenue. And so we dive in with some of the best experts around the world, people like Dan Ross who ran uh, marketing for Optimizely out of Silicon Valley or Kate Murray who runs Segment and Full Story here locally. And basically we pick their brains on all the things that they've done to unlock growth in their companies. Awesome, so
0: it's called Net Positive.
1: Are you the host? Uh, I am one of the hosts, yes. Okay, so you're not going to fuck up this podcast. You already know how to uh, it. I'll do my (laughs) best, mate, I'll do my best. I'm actually used to asking the questions not being asked the questions. Yeah,
0: yeah, I experienced that. I experienced that when we did the the me episode. I enjoyed that episode, mate. Did you? Yeah, yeah it was, oh, good fun. I, I was I was a bit unsure about it because I was like, <laughs> you know, I was on, you, when you're on the opposite side, you're kind of confused, it yeah. throws you off. But anyway, I did it actually, I was on Mark Bruce's podcast and I felt like I was all right on that one. But being on, you know, my own podcast as the guest just felt a bit, bit weird. It's know a know weird I mean? feeling, totally. And maybe uh, we actually only met, so you've been a member for, since 2018, but we only really connected uh, properly uh, maybe a, a couple months ago or a month ago when when um, Anthony connected us in the boardroom to discuss um, uh, creating a bit of an investor community in the club. And and just so the listeners know, um, that's how we ended up here today. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Matt and, and Matt, uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce Black Nova very soon, but uh, basically Matt runs uh, Black Nova, which is a venture capital uh, uh, firm. Is a firm you call yep, it? Yeah, that's right. Firm. And we have lots of people who love to invest into companies at the club and me and Matt sat down to actually discuss creating a community of Cub investors uh, and, and, and finding great opportunities. So that's how we ended up here today. And, and honestly, Matt, uh, I was so happy to meet you then and that's kind of one of the beautiful things about Cub and my job is I get to meet uh, absolute legends for a living. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, mate, and thank you for being here today. And do you want to just give us a bit of a rundown on Black Nova? I love the name too, Thanks, Black mate,
1: Nova. Yeah, no. I'm happy to, mate. Look, really, really appreciate it. So Black Nova, uh, it's bang the table then really lightly. Yeah. I told Matt before
0: we start, don't bang the bloody table. He's like, like, I'm banging the table.
1: (laughs) So so Black Nova, um, it's a nearly a decade-old organization. And so it started out in the garage of uh, a mate of mine, uh, drinking and barbecue buddy for years, David Theodoro. Um, Basically, he uh, came out of the army, didn't want to go do a corporate job, and had done a bunch of web work for friends and family, and so started building websites and apps for his mates, um, and then and then started to bring some customers on board. Um, I started a business around the same time called DunSafe, which we'll talk about. But um, you know, we watched each other grow through our respective businesses. When I was getting ready to exit done safe. Um, you know, Dave's business had grown, uh, they were doing, you know, a decent amount of revenue. And um, he wanted to move out of uh, services based work and move into building assets. So software based assets mm. and investing in software companies. And so uh, there was an opportunity for me to buy a, a reasonably large stake of that business. And then we've now shifted in, it into what it is today. And so today, what Black Nova is, is an asset manager. So we basically, uh, we raise funds, we deploy funds, uh, and then we are an active Active investor in the companies we invest in. So what that means is we actually go and we deploy expertise into the companies to really help them scale and grow alongside the capital rather than just deploying the capital and sitting back and, and hoping it makes us some money in the so future. You, you,
0: and by so like an asset manager, you, you, for example, funds that are asset managers, some of them are, you know, commercial real estate funds or stock funds or what you your asset is is companies is yeah, the software of the companies?
1: That, that's absolutely right. So our asset is the humans, the founders that build software companies, and then the ones and zeros, the technology that they go and build and deploy.
0: Awesome, and and you've taken a a, a more Y combinator approach. Is that correct to uh, to being a venture capitalist fund, as you mentioned? So we don't just give you money and, and that's all we give you, we actually give you the network, we give you the support, we give you the knowledge and the know-how, the investors the, or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, look, a- absolutely. So um, I, I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley uh, both when I was building my own first company and then when I went through the Y Combinator program with another software company. And... You know, when I looked back at the Australian ecosystem and the landscape here, I got really frustrated. And, you know, as a a patriot of the country, the great country that we live in. and Best country on planet Earth. Absolutely. Looking out your window at the Harbour Bridge, getting a little emotional. You know, I I think for me, I really wanted to make sure that we were bringing the best of what the world is doing to Australia and really uh, help to grow these businesses and give them the support that they get when they go through something like Y Combinator in the Australian market alongside capital that goes from round to round.
0: Okay, so you were one of the very few Australians ever really to go through Y Combinator. There can't be that many Australians go through Y Combinator. Actually, do you want to explain what Y Combinator is?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so Y Combinator is the preeminent startup accelerator based out of Mountain View in California. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like the shit or venture capital, absolutely. Look, absolutely. And if if you look at the performance of YC and the company and the and the VCs that have invested in YC companies, you know they've outperformed typically uh, in the market. And YC has done an incredible job of building amazing technology businesses. Now, well, they've done like
0: Airbnb. Who have they done? Airbnb, Uber, or some of these Dropbox. They they do everyone. Yeah. Um,
1: So a bunch of a bunch of incredible companies have gone through Y Combinator. And and you know the beautiful thing about YC is you know they give you the coaching needed plus capital plus ongoing support. So it's not like you don't just go through YC and then you're on your own. You go through YC, you build a network of people that have built those sorts of companies and then those people lean in and help you to operate your business in the early days.
0: Mm. And that's the model you're kind of you've brought to the Australian market.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Alongside um, the work that I do with another um, local uh, incubator here called Antler. Well, it's actually a startup generator. So um, we often work with companies What's it called uh, Antler. Antler. Yeah. So Antler is a startup generator. So that's like if the three of us wanted to go launch a software business and we didn't know each other, we could go and uh, launch a software business. You know, we could go join Antler program, be accepted, meet each other in the program, and then ideate on things and actually launch a business at the other end and then investors would come in and back that post-Antler Demo Day, for example.
0: Okay, very cool. I love how yeah. you call it YC. It's like, oh, I've been there, I've done that. It's YC. It's not just <laughs> Y Combinator. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, and so so you went through Y Combinator. So, so Black Nova, you've now – Black Nova obviously wasn't – that's not the company you were in YC. It, that was a different company but Black Nova is a company that has spawned out of your experience of going through YC – and uh, you brought to the market, and Black Nova now. Ha- I, guess, I guess whereabouts is Black Nova in its life cycle? How bigs the team? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so Black Nova, when I I bought in, was was nine people, mm-hmm. uh, and they had launched their very first product. They'd been a services business for the eight years prior, and um, you know what I wanted to do was very quickly change the shape of that business and invest heavily. Uh, And so, you know, it's been loss leading for a period to obviously grow a really large team and to grow a brand. But, you know, we're now at 52 people. Um, The services business continues to be a good profit center for us. But we've now invested in 41 technology companies. And so that's enabled us to grow an incredible portfolio, but also to lift the overall services we offer as a business as well.
0: Wow, that's a it's a, it's a decent size now, and and so it's you you focus on tech companies. That's the focus.
1: Yeah, so we we have a really big core focus on business to business software companies, okay. um, and so you would find that. 80% plus of the things that we invest in are business-to-business software companies. We also prefer business-to-business software companies that are the picks and shovels of businesses that we invest in, so the things that are recession-proof. You know, If the markets falter, you're still going to go invest in supply chain software that helps you to optimise your supply chain. Mm. You're still going to invest in health and safety software to make sure that your employees don't get injured. You're still going to invest in HR software to make sure people get paid. So we're very focused on the softwares that businesses will continue to use no matter what the market does.
0: Mm. Like, for example, when COVID hit, the I mean, we never stopped paying our. We, we use HubSpot at
1: Cub. Yeah. We still pay them. Absolutely, you. Yeah. But you paid up. Spot you doubled yeah. down on Zoom. Yeah, and what like, was the? Yeah. What's
0: the other one we process payments with? Stripe. You know, you've got to pay them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: these are you <laughs> should you should invest in an alcohol delivery technology because that would be pretty recession proof, <laughs> too, know.
1: Yeah, it would. It would, but it breaks our rule of being business to consumer. Ah, that's it. right. So yeah. yeah. Um, right. And, <laughs> but personally, thought I was giving yeah, you gold. Yeah, no, no. Personally, I might consider it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, I drank. I drank a bit too much. To over anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, did did you find? And, and so, obviously, you found that niche. And do you believe that every business needs to have a very specific niche, and that's why you've taken that approach? Or
1: yeah, look, I think that businesses need to have a competitive advantage, and and you know when you think about building a business, you're looking to build moats. So, you know, and when we look to invest, we're looking at how many moats do they already have in play and what moats can they create over time?
0: By moats, you mean defensible strategy.
1: That's exactly right. So, you know, a defensible strategy could be uh, patent protection a defensible strategy might be the fact that you've got 15 years of experience and you've got customer connections and you can go and win market share more quickly because of that. Mm-hmm. And so there's different levels of moats, but that's one of the things that we always look for as an investor is, you know, do they have them today? And if they don't, can they create them quickly and can we help now, them? How many
0: moats do you have? Do you have sharks in one moat, a crocodile in the yeah. other one, you know, you're yeah, you like make, laser, laser, yeah, laser sharks. fucking <laughs> things shoot people when they try to <laughs> jump. Matt, yeah, i got to get some moats for cab. Totally. And, and so, okay, you've got this, this uh, amazing oh Yes, you've got out, a lot of moats, mate. You've got a lot of no, moats we do company. have moats. Yeah, yeah. Strategy is something I focus a lot on, especially defensible strategy. But Absolutely. we can actually make that part of the conversation today. Totally. And, uh, you, that could be really cool. Um, okay, but you're in a great position now. Um, but where are you from? How did you start? Did you come from a family business? Was business something normal for you?
1: How did you fall into this world? Well, Look, I, I did not have the normal sort of business journey. Who has a normal business journey? That's a lot of credit. No one has a normal business journey. But I had a, I had a probably slightly more abnormal than the average business journey. So, um, I started my first businesses as a teenager. Now, I didn't come from a family of business owners. I had no entrepreneurs in my circle. In fact, I had no one that went to university in my circle. I had like quite a, uh, a fairly sort of lower middle class. Sydney-based upbringing on the northern suburbs of Sydney. My dad drove a bus for a university and my mum worked for the church. So she was a parish manager for the local church of, right. of where I came from.
0: At so. least you'd have good ethics and you'd get to uni on time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't, go, didn't, go, I, to uni. I didn't go to uni. We'll get to
1: that in a minute. I, d- I didn't buck the trend there, but I bucked the trend on the entrepreneurial side. Um, so I didn't have many role models in my family, but I did have role models in my mum's family circle. And so um, my mum was a, a great networker. Uh, and built up a really good uh, network of friends and uh, two of those friends, one of them is actually a cub member. So shout out to Andrew black, uh, you know, one of they basically supported me early on in my entrepreneurial pursuits. And, and so I'll, t- I'll tell you how. So the first thing, I always had an interest in tinkering with computers. My family couldn't afford to buy a computer. But a good family friend of ours, Michael Smith, uh, he actually gave us our first computer and gave me the parts to upgrade it, which was an incredible thing. And so I watched him and learned from him how to tinker and build computers. Another family friend, Andrew Black, uh, who at the time um, used to work at the St. George Bank, he was one of the general managers there, Uh, he needed some support for his computer and heard that I was doing some stuff there and uh, he was actually one of my first paying customers so he'd invite me around as a 15, 16 year old kid to fix his computer or upgrade his computer or, you know delete viruses or get him ready for Y2K or whatever it might have been that was was sort of the, the, the tech flavor of the month at that time. And so, you know, Andrew took a bet on me and gave me confidence that I could go out there and he, he used to challenge me on how much I'd charge because I wasn't charging enough. So he'd pay me more and say, you need to ask for more money. And so some of those really early lessons I picked up actually were from friends of the family, which was which was really useful. Um, I'm a big fan of Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I am like, too. Yeah, awesome. love it. Yeah, and and no one gets to you know where they get to without an awesome amount of outlier experiences, and and those are a couple of mine. Um, what, what did f- you take from that book? What was it that you, What was it that you learned? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing I learned is nobody gets anywhere without a really solid network, and you know you need to surround yourself with incredible people for incredible opportunity to present itself. You know, there is a such thing as luck. Everybody who's done well in business has ex- has been. Exposed to luck, the difference between those who make it and those who don't are the people that grab the luck when they see it, versus the people who miss it and watch it pass by. And so, I think outliers gave me a really solid kind of understanding of, you know, how luck works and how people actually make their luck through the networks that they create.
0: You should get a job at Cub. That's it. Sounds like a great Cub pitch. <laughs> <Are> you <just laughs>
1: yeah, you, can, you can put this all in the ads, mate, all the quotes. Oh, uh, well, yeah, 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 100%. That'd
0: be really useful. <laughs> Laurie. do you write that down? Um, and also Andrew Black, we'll give him a shout-out, he's actually got a podcast episode as well. Oh, awesome. Um, I didn't know you guys knew each other, but he has a podcast episode for the listeners. You can go back and listen to Andrew's episode well. It, 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 it's awesome. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No, no, absolutely not, um, not at all. And so, and so from there uh, – I, you know, graduated high school. I worked at Woolies in the fish market at Woolies and I was skinning fish and using the money from skinning fish to buy more computer parts to sell to more people. Um, And, you know, I got to sort of the end of high school and, uh, you know, all the time spent uh, building businesses, I didn't focus too much on my studies. So I didn't get the marks to go do like, you know, your your computer science or anything like that, which is probably what I would have done. And mum said to me, look, you know, um, you should go do a business degree, and I thought about doing that for a minute, but you know I'd already felt like I had some business experience. She said, "Well, look, if you're not going to go and do a degree, you need to go and get a job, so you're at least learning some of the corporate lessons that you won't get otherwise." And it was the best advice I ever had, um, because I went and took a job uh, for Kerry Packers ACP magazines, and you know I remember being a, an 18-year-old fresh-faced, pimply, you know, kid walking into ACP for the first time. I think it was day three. I got into the lift, and this big, tall, scary-looking bloke in it was Kerry Packer himself no. and he, he just, was a giant man he was a yeah. giant man and as a, as a kid I remember he reached out his hand and his hand looked like it was about 500 meters long it was like you know he took he took my hand and shook my hand and said son what do you do for me and So my first job was actually pushing mail cuts around ACP magazines and delivering mail to editors and photographers and all sorts of people and I fell in love. I was like, my God, this is so cool. This is such a glamorous place and all these glamorous people and I had not come from that. You know, I'd never experienced it. I was scaling fish only (laughs) a few weeks earlier. Um,
0: But, But isn't that a bit of a lesson that Kerry actually took the time to shake your hand in the elevator with one of his employees, never met you, young guy. Took time to shake his hand and, and find out what he does. Uh,
1: absolutely. And I, I idolized the bloke from then on. Like, and I read all of the books and I, you know, studied all of the things. But, um, you know, uh, I was really fortunate. So I worked in the mailroom only for three months. Um, it's the first and only job I ever got fired from. I was too slow at loading carts. I was too busy talking to people as, <laughs> uh, as they were coming in. But fortunately, I'd made enough of an impression on people in ACP that I got off at another job um, and actually got a promotion out of being fired from the mailroom. Uh, and so I ended up. Up in the photography studio of ACP, helping them uh do a bit of a digital transformation. They were moving from film to uh to digital photography, they were building a digital library of content, and I got quite involved in that. Worked there for a bit, moved my way up through that business. Then I fell in love with my first wife. Uh I am I am second time very happily married. Um, but first first wife, uh 21. Uh, we had a baby together. She was from a small town in Wyala in South Australia. So I, and, and when we had the baby, she's like, I can't live in Sydney, I hate it, I want to be near my family and so we jumped on a plane to Wyala. So here I am leaving the glamour of the three years I just spent at ACP and Channel 9 and I'm now in a red dust town in South Australia knowing nobody, knowing nothing, trying to find a job. I applied for every job under the sun and, and, you know, I ended up getting offered to be the store manager of radio rentals or to uh, go and be a finance officer uh, for a cleaning company. Didn't take either of those. Thankfully, took uh, a turn, went to the pub to drown in my sorrows of the types of jobs I was being offered after just coming out of that really glamorous industry and met somebody from the mining site in that particular town. And uh, thankfully, a family friend in that instance of, of my ex wife's family also knew people there. And I got some connections in there and went to an interview at a mine site. And the mining guy, so really short story, I turn up to a mining site coming from television and magazines and from sydney to this small town twenty six thousand people you know next town's an hour and 10 minutes away red dirt like trying to set the set the set the tone but um i turned up to the mine site in a pinstripe suit and a pink shirt and uh that wasn't the right dress code to turn up to a mine site they were all in orange and blue high vis and uh and looked at me quite funny but they took pity on me and gave me a job (laughs) So, well, you would have stood out. Good marketing. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, I, I definitely stood out. I remember the, the, the thing that stuck with me the Paul Acton, big, ball, burly, uh, Belfast bloke who'd been in, in the mining and manufacturing game for 40 years. Absolute legend. Love the guy. Uh, lots of terrible quotes he told me over the years that I won't repeat on a podcast so that are not appropriate in today's day and age. But, um, he basically said to me, look, son, I think, uh, you know, you know a lot about the IT stuff and you seem to be, you know, pretty eloquent. And, you know, they were hiring a lot of farmers back then to go and do, do mining work because that was where they could only find the operating labor. And he said, I reckon you can be a manager and I reckon you can manage some health and safety and I can teach you the health and safety stuff. And so that was my first gig. And so I took that and that's where the business idea came from.
0: Which business are you?
1: So the first one, so the first big one, so that was done safe. So on the mine site we were on, uh, we uh, had a number of injuries that were happening and a number of incidents that were happening and corrective actions so the things to remedy these incidents weren't being enforced. And that was because they were recorded on little throwaway pieces of paper or in spreadsheets or in access databases and they just kind of, it was a one-way street. Information would go in, nothing would come out. And so, one day, uh, a woman who I knew quite well, who was a, a driver of one of the big dump trucks, and if you've never seen one of those things, if you stand next to the wheel, you're dwarfed by the mm. wheel, and then it's got five meters above you, so these things are pretty intimidating. She uh, she actually fell out of one on a wet, slippery day, and her radio was left in the cab of the truck, and uh, she nearly killed herself. Um, and it was a horrible experience. And I remember the CEO of the business shedding a tear as he was telling the story about this and a bunch of other things, but. Um, Off the back of that I took a real interest in solving that problem and so we built some software on that site Uh, deployed that software, the headquarters in Newcastle back in New South Wales heard of some of the stuff that we'd done out in Wyala, uh, offered me a gig to go and roll out uh, a system for the entire business. I went and took that with both hands, shipped the family back to to Newcastle now, uh, built the software, deployed the software, it did really well. But how does a software stop someone from falling out of a truck? Well, it doesn't stop someone from falling out of a truck, but what it does in that instance Just lets you know they feel. Well, no, it, it lets you manage the things to stop the likelihood of that happening. So the idea is you do risk assessments proactively to identify what things could hurt people on my site. And then you put actions in place to try to stop those things from happening in the first place. And so that's what we did. We built software to do that. You're um, a lot
0: smarter than me. I'm I would have got a rope, tied it to each person, and tied the <laughs> rope to the seat. And you, got, you got to undo the rope before you. Can. Yeah, yeah well that's
1: that's 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 personal protective equipment. That stuff. That stuff works too to an extent. Um, yeah, you know, we did we did well with that. So we we you know that that project did really well, got a bunch of accolades, all the rest of it. And um, I approached the software company that had built it, uh, who who also was a mentor of mine in the early days. And um, I said to them, look, I, I really love what we've done here. We should take this to other companies. Now they were really successful in mining software, and so they didn't want to divert their attention, but they also didn't want to divert any resources to give me the bandwidth to go and do that. But they said. You can go and do it yourself. So, so I did,
0: and that's how DunSafe started. That's how DunSafe started. Yeah. Uh, wow. So you, you, so you. I mean, so the, from the sound of it, though, you always had that entrepreneurial flair, even even when you were a kid. That's what you're looking for, and and it just kind of shows you that if you are, if you are an entrepreneur, and you're in a job, you almost will find a way to be an entrepreneur, whether that be within the company or out of the company. You know, you, you're going to find that that the path. The path is always there for the person that's searching for it. Every path is if that's the path you're searching for it. And that's really what happened to you, no?
1: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And I think to my outlier's point, you know, some people watch those, those opportunities fly by and other people grab them. And my mandate in life has always been, i just grab any opportunity I see. And mm. like, it took me all over the place. Like I had the most choppy, weird and wonderful rise. But um, it very much came from if I saw an opportunity, I'd just throw myself on it, and sometimes it'd be a grenade and I'd protect some people, and other times it'd be something that would do me pretty well.
0: yeah, hundred percent. and And so, how did Dunsafe, how did you wrap up Dunsafe? did you end up exiting and selling, or, or what did you do?
1: Yeah, so so I, I built Dunsafe with a business partner. um so again, I was really fortunate uh, these are those outlier moments. A friend I went to high school with uh, knew a guy who had a safety problem. And I had a solution for a problem and didn't have a customer. And so he connected the two of us and we ended up becoming business partners. And so over many beers, we kind of formulated what Dunsafe became. We took that to market uh, in 2013. Um, we raised our capital in 14, And uh, off the back of that, I quit my day job, went full time in. Uh, And we grew that business to, you know, just shy of one and a half million users over the next six or so years. Um, And we exited that business to North American private equity. Wow. What
0: a journey. And how old were you when you finished that? Uh,
1: 33, 34. No, no, I wasn't. I was 34.
0: Wow, yeah. went from scaling fish to scaling <laughs> sca- scaling trucks <laughs> to scaling business. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm i so, so, That should be my book title. Scaling, yeah, fish scaling, scaling fish to scaling business. <laughs> scaling
0: fish to scaling business. <laughs> scaling fish to Black Nova. Yeah. Um, um, you know who you should meet? You should meet two people. One is a member named Peter Liston, who also has a podcast. I know, I know Peter. Oh yeah, yeah. because he's the, So the reason you should meet him, though. Is you should connect him to your friend from the army, that your your veteran friend. Yeah. Because Peter's a big vet supporter. He he runs the veteran community or, sure, or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, the uh, chamber of commerce.
0: Yeah, yep. and and um, uh, he's trying to organize um for like an incubator for veteran run businesses, and perhaps you guys could look at investing in veteran run businesses and things like that. Absolutely. The other um. Uh, there's another bit, actually, one of our family businesses is a food safety technology company okay. that a lot of the private hospitals, a lot of the big hotels and casinos use. You should definitely, uh, I'll put you in contact with someone about it. Yeah, awesome. Because I reckon they could probably use some of your advice. No, there's happy to, mate. Food safety before.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Awesome. Um, all right. So then what did you do? You're 34. You've got a bit of cash. You've got a kid. You've got a wife.
1: You're in Newcastle. It, what'd you do? Oh, so so by that time I was back in Sydney, so so you know, the I could probably talk for an hour just talking about the career and I won't, because that'll bore listeners to death. But I moved back to Sydney, took another job at Leighton in strategy, and then took a job in CBA before I exited to go do Dunsafe full-time. Uh, midway through Dunsafe, I'd built another business called Wisply. That was the one that went through Y Combinator. Uh, and what did that business uh, do? So that was whistleblowing software. So, uh, to really wrap it up quickly, when I went into construction for that year while I was building Dunsafe, um, we found uh, my, my business partner found the third largest fraud in Australian corporate history. Uh, really big one, twenty something million dollars from memory. It was over twelve years. It was invoice fraud, uh, and the gentleman went to jail for a, for a little over a decade. Um, you know, one of those stories where the, actually in this instance, being a CFO that had been taking the money, he didn't actually go and spend it all. He did save a lot of it, so they recovered a lot of the money. But um, you know, uh, they should so, have
0: given you some sort of commission for finding it. If I was in America, I would have got a big commission. Yeah, I would have, I would have, I would have told them <laughs> I, I can give you twelve. I would have said I can give you ten million dollars. But you're gonna to have to give me two, yeah. and then I'll tell you how I can do it. If you agree, then that's the plan. I would have got them signing the contract 100. I'm not giving you 10 million unless so I'm getting two. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. I would definitely do that. Today. You're a kinder entrepreneur yeah. than me. <laughs> um, so yeah, he he, we, he found that fraud. He went off to become a fraud investigator. I went off to build Dunsafe. About two years into the Dunsafe journey, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, "I want to build something like you've built with Dunsafe for whistleblowing." I said sure, I'll help you, but I want a piece of that. And together we went and built that particular yeah. business and went through YC.
0: Amazing. It's just the same thing again. You found a problem and you built a business around that problem. It, it's it's That's the pattern. That's, yeah. the, that's the entrepreneur in you. You really are one of kind of Australia's very few, I'd say, um, kind of highly successful tech entrepreneurs uh, that has experienced um, both obviously growing business in Australia, but also going to the States and, and doing the same thing and, and successfully exiting multiple times and and so, why don't we dive into that area of your knowledge—the the, the, the area of you know, investing to software companies sure. um, and, and all that type of stuff? So, I mean, what are the things you guys look for? So, when when investing, what do you look for? In or how do you know? Okay, this company is going to be a healthy company, or this company is going to be—you can't know, but you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely know what you're saying. So, so there's you know, we are a uh, a thematically focused, which means we we invest in themes. Uh, early stage, so we back companies as early as a PowerPoint deck and a few great founders right through to sort of 10K MRR, so monthly recurring revenue. Um, We typically back them with the first money that they will receive and often alongside angel investors. So um, we typically are the first institutional investment alongside angel investors. So we provide the rigor around the terms and the way that that investment happens to ensure that both us, the founders, and the angels are all protected through that particular investment as much as you can be protected in early stage high-risk investment. Um, we look for uh, founders who have got domain expertise. So we love to find founding teams that at least one of the founders deeply understands the problem they're solving and as a network that they can uh, they can tap to get first customers. We love investing in... So
0: that kind of means someone from that industry, someone from that space. They have contacts in that space already and they understand how the space could function better.
1: As we were B2B focused... Um, you know, because businesses typically buy from people that have got credibility and trust in a space that kind of makes rule one quite important. Mm-hmm. So rule one is find find business owners that really get the problem that they're solving. The next thing that we look for is uh, it sits in our thematic and typically what we like is B2B software businesses that are globally scalable from day one that are venture-sized, which basically means that we can go and you know invest uh, our million dollars and hopefully return our fund with each of those investments that we make, for example. So if we have a $25 million fund, if we invest a million, we need our take to be $25 million – We want to go find multiple of those. So, what does that mean? What you call that venture sized? Venture sized means basically a business that can scale and grow to a valuation that's high enough to return our fund multiple times. Okay,
0: and so so rule one: business owners who understand the problem, understand the industry, understand the space, have a network. Yeah, good founders. Yeah, rule two needs to be globally sca- scalable. Yeah, How do you know if something's globally scalable?
1: Yeah, so we do a lot of research in all of the things that we back. And so typically, again, I think I mentioned earlier, we, we invest in picks and shovels of businesses that will be there for the long run for all businesses. So, you know, um, if you think about HR tech, you can sit back and say, well, if I'm investing in payroll software – Well, everybody has to get paid globally. So that's first check. Now, the second check is, okay, well, everybody has to get paid globally. How hard is it to then enter another market? Because, you know, if you enter Australia, Australian law on taxation is really complex and quite hard to navigate. But it's nowhere near as hard as North America. So you then go to North America and you're dealing with 50 states and different state-based taxation laws and all sorts of things. You look at that and you go, okay, well, is this payroll software – able to be picked up and taken to North America? Um, And if the answer is yes, then that's great. That feels to me like a pretty sizable market opportunity. 50% of the software in the world is purchased in North America.
0: So really, when you're saying globally scalable, you mean can we do this in the US?
1: Yeah, can we do this in the US or can we do this in Australia and Southeast Asia and Europe or can we do this? It's really about the market sizing and then it's, you know, Team plus market sizing. You know, is this the right team? Even with that domain expertise, do they have the right sets of skills or the malleability to be coached to go and take a large enough chunk of that that big market that you've gone and found? So they're like they're really the things that we look for in early stage investment. Okay. And then the third thing which we t- we touched on earlier is defensibility, is moats. So apart from the moat of expertise, what other moats are there? You know, is there a speed moat? And so the speed moat might be that they've already gone out and had, you know, built a massive community. Like, you know, for example, if you came to me and said, hey, I've got this massive community called Cub and I want to go build a software product and take it to market and everyone in Cub's in, you go, well, that's a moat. Like you've already built up some real credibility and you're now applying that credit credibility to an adjacency. I told you we're doing that, didn't I? Uh, I think you did, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. I was going to say, fuck, you guessed. (laughs) Do you know I have my (laughs) secrets? I I wasn't in that instance. But, you know, like it's anywhere you have the ability to take something you've built and then apply it and give you speed, that could potentially be a moat. Uh, You know, a a very defensible moat, and it's only as defensible as your ability to fight it, by the way, but a very defensible moat is having intellectual property. So having, you know, one of two types of IP. So either – Patents, so uh, legal protection, and again, that's that's the harder one because legal protection's only as good as your ability to defend against that 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 pattern. Um, and so, it's 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 important, and we we love companies that have it, but it's probably the, the second uh, choice for us. The first choice is a recipe, something that's really hard to copy. Um, so, if you think about one of our investments, uh, a company called Zalient, okay, Zalient takes uh, computer vision at the edge. Um, so if you think about CCTV cameras, they deploy some software to those cameras at the edge that reduces the amount of data that's need to ca- needed to be captured to pick the thing that you want to go and consume. So, for example, it will take your face and blur all of the rest of the stuff and only capture the face data. Now, that came from uh, Shivi, who's one of the co-founders. He's, you know, more than a decade of study, PhD level study and expertise in that area, and then his recipe that he created from that PhD study. Now that recipe is very valuable and is protected.
0: I agree. But I always, when I think about a defensible strategy, put chucking some sharks in my moat, in my <laughs> pool, I, I like to think that, um, and, and you see it happen a lot, I kind of look at it as three steps. The first thing is you look at the existing market and you're kind of like, okay, what's a niche in this market that there is no dominant brand in? There may be other some small fry fish or something around that are trying to do it. But is there, for example, this is an obvious example, but, but for example, there were social medias. LinkedIn was the professional social media. Yeah. And that there wasn't, there might've been other Professional social media at the time, but they weren't big. They didn't own that category. They didn't yeah. own that brand. So LinkedIn, I mean, it's not a revolutionary. In fact, LinkedIn pretty shit the way it, it <laughs> works. You know, we love LinkedIn at Cub, It's been one of the biggest keys totally. to success. But in regards to its functionality, it's, I, I, don't, I think they could do it a lot better. Uh, it's very Microsoft, not very Apple. Yeah. Um. And uh, well, fuck, I just went on a random about LinkedIn and forgot what I was talking about. Um. You're talking about the way. you That's right. About yeah. So you find a niche. Yeah. Right. So they they said, okay, we are going to be the professional network. Because currently there's only the social network, which is uh, Facebook. Um, there's uh, another network, which is X, whatever else there is, right? Yep. And we're going to be professional. Then it's a matter of speed to size. And that's when you see these companies uh, on the bigger scale – when you see these companies go raise fucking $2 billion, $100 million, and, and they just flood the market with a cheap product that's really good, that's revolutionary, or that just owns that category. And their, their strategy, the actual strategy towards that business is not to make a profit at that point. The strategy yep. is market share because if I found a niche that no one else has I get, and I get enough market share, no one else can come in and take me because, for example, Afterpay. yep, right, Buy now, pay later. Right. No matter what company comes out and does buy and now, pay later, you say Afterpay. Is yes. that like Afterpay? Is that Afterpay? The, the same with um, uh, renting your rooms. Oh, is that like do you do Airbnb? I could be using another website but people will still say do you do Airbnb? They own that niche. They, well, it's category ownership. Exactly. That's yeah. what it is. And, and you always own it because now, now there's all different niches from Afterpay. There's, so Afterpay created a new category. And now there's other categories coming from that. For example, one of our members uh, started a company called ArtPay, which is after pay for art. They have a twenty million dollar art fund. Right. Pay, you know, like there's all these different things come out of it. And so it's finding the niche or finding the category that is not yet taken, it's pumping the fuck out of the market to get to get to to to, to own that category. Totally. You got enough market share to own it, and then you turn on the profits. Because once you have the cat once you've got once you're in the category, no one's gonna leave you. So I'm never gonna switch from Uber. I know there's other things I don't even know what they're called, but and <laughs> some of them are cheaper. But for just the just the brain power for me to think. Oh, what's that other Uber called? Like to make the switch, I probably just pay five dollars extra for the Uber. and yeah, I'm uh, so using right. Uber. Like,
1: it's yeah, well, you, what what you've basically described is is category ownership. So it's either mm. creation of a category or domination of a category. Mm. And you know, when you think about that, the the brand actually becomes almost a verb. Like you, you know, it, it it's, does. It's, like it's, Airbnb. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll Airbnb and I'll Afterpay pay it. Yeah. I'll whatever it might be. So, yeah. uh, and I that's think, a very defensible strategy. Uh, ab- absolutely. And so, and so, what we look for being early stage investors is what the, could be that. Well, that's right. So it's, it's the scaffolding that exists to enable them with capital to win, okay? And, and so, you know, if you think about these businesses, the businesses that truly dominate, there are plenty of businesses that raise a ton of capital and fail. But if you have the right team and the right scaffolding and structuring in place with the right operational support to avoid the pitfalls and enough money, like you've got a really good chance of becoming that category leader. Mm. Actually,
0: another one, we work. Any co-working space, what do you call it? WeWork. WeWork flopped as a company. They tried to scale as a tech company but had two bigger overheads because they were a bricks and mortar company yeah. and, f- and flopped it. Yeah. But you still, would you, they still own that category. Oh, work,
1: yeah. still we work. Totally. And you look, know? At, you know, I, I still, whenever I think about uh, going and finding an office, I, f- I think about WeWork. Yeah. Like that, that will be there yeah. forever. Even even though the company failed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> totally. that's
0: how strong that defensible strategy is of own that category. And to translate that to like really any – any kind of um, business model. For example, let's say Black Nova. Yeah, right? man. I'm just gonna make up shit here, so just stop. No, that's right. But let's just Freestyle. use Black Nova, right? Yeah. Okay. We are a B two B venture cap, a B two B technology focused. Um, uh, what did you call it? A recession proof technology yep. focused venture capital firm that brings expertise. From, from someone who's actually experienced Y Combinator. Yeah. Because there's probably other B2B venture capital firms. There's probably other B2B technology venture capital firms, but there may not be any other B2B venture capital firms, blah, 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 that have the found, a founder or an owner that has experienced the most premium venture capital company on the planet and experience what it's like to go through that. Yep. And you're probably the only one in Australia.
1: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think, you know, it's it's definitely if you think about the badges that have been acquired that enable us to go out there and be a truly operator-focused fund, you know, multiple exited founders in the general partnership. So, you know, if you look at most VC funds, now not all VC funds, there are other VC funds that are operator-focused, but, you know, if you look at the two founding partners, there's about eight founded companies between them with with multiple exits. Um, you know, people in the founding team that have been in multiple of the founding accelerators globally, Y Combinator, Antler, Darcy, who's my partner there who built York Butter Factory out of Melbourne, which was the preeminent space in Melbourne for incubating startups back in the, you know, the very early days of our ecosystem. Um, and then what we've done is we've gone and found the best venture partners, so people that uh, actually can come in and advise on the fund, but also work with the companies. And so the VPs that we have on board are, are you know, the the highest rated angel investing couple in Australia, Matt and April Allen, for example. Um, Richard Cheng, who runs uh, infrastructure and investments for Hong Kong Jockey Club. Dan Ross, who built. Uh, optimizely from you know seed to D as the go to market. See card. what
0: I love about this is because I've spoken to people from VC funds before. Not for cap, we never we never raised capital, but I I've I met the VC funds before, and you're talking to someone who's not an entrepreneur, and they don't relate to what you're going through, what you're feeling insecure about, what you're worried about, and they're not approaching it from one entrepreneur to another. a, f- a real v- proper VC that has entrepreneurs at the helm that are dealing with the actual other business owners would be far more – they can empathise better with the person. And also they see themselves in them, so they're not trying to fuck them. Totally. There's a lot of VC firms trying to, you know, have shitty terms for the owner, for
1: yeah. the founder. No, don't, don't fuck the founder is like Never. literally the, the absolute lifeblood of yeah, our Yeah, they business. are the business. Yeah. Until
0: it gets to, you know, a monstrous size, they are the business. Absolutely. They're, they're, they're the engine. Yeah, totally. Um, awesome. And, and so what tips would you have for any businesses in general that are raising capital? How do you make yourself look
1: prettier? (laughs) Look, I don't think it's about looking prettier. I think it's about being really authentic. So, you know, when you're a VC, and especially when you're an operator-focused VC like we are, you know, we see hundreds of companies. uh, You know, we see thousands of decks. We attend, you know, dozens of events a month. And so we're constantly seeing founders. And so what we're looking for is somebody we trust. You know, we're looking to build trust. We're looking to build trust quickly. And so the better you are at building trust, the better you are going to find your experience working with that particular VC. So I think, you know, investing in the relationship, building the relationship way earlier than you're planning on fundraising, um, you know, asking for advice, uh, promoting the other companies that are in a VC's portfolio, being, you know, generally net positive to the community that you want to be a part of is a very good way to get on the right side of the VCs that you're looking at.
0: That's literally our ethos at Cub. You're going to help people you like, you know. Build valuable relationships. If 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 there's a VC fund that genuinely likes you as a person, they think you're a great person, you're good ethic, you work hard, you, you know. They they're trying to give value to you. like as members, you know. A member that's trying to help another member give value, that member's going to reciprocate. Yeah, it's it's the same concept. It's just pe- pe- value build build relationships. Totally build your network, and but there needs to be valuable relationships. They need to be real relation, authentic relationships. You know, a lot of people that. Uh, uh, when I talked to them about Cub, they say what I love is it's very organic in its, I guess, networking style. It's you know you, you build or, or real
1: friendships type uh, of thing. Absolutely, I've I've made some incredible friends through Cub, and you know I think for me, little plug for club, for Cub, you know. I uh, came back to Sydney. Uh, most of my mates are not in business. You know, most of my mates are school teachers or they're plumbers or they're, they're doing things that, you know, they're working for other people. Great
0: roles, great contributions to society Amazing. but not in your position.
1: But not but not, uh, yeah, not yeah, going through the same things I'm going through on a yeah. daily basis. And so for me, Cub, that was the original reason to join Cub was to meet more like-minded people that, you know, not trying to pitch them and not trying to sell to them, just trying to build Ooh, relationships. relationships. And,
0: and as you can see, that is a transcendent tool that goes it's not just that's not cut that's what we focus on we're the best at but but that works in in your world absolutely if you want to raise capital be
1: friends with the guy giving you some money yeah And, and you know you don't have to have been friends for long like this is the thing you know a lot of vcs especially the older guard of vc were typically only taking warm introductions and we're only investing in things that came in warmly from someone else they know you know, I think technology has really enabled people to get around that. And so, you know, make sure that you're reaching out and you are actually trying to build a relationship as early as possible because the longer you have building that relationship, even if it comes from a cold, uh, you know, source, you you can definitely get invested. I've invested in a ton of founders who I didn't know through my network. You know, I had no network when I started apart from, you know, Andrew, I mentioned and a few other people. I didn't I didn't know anybody in business really. Um, and so, you know, I love to invest in people that, that haven't come from a network but who – go out and spend, you know, all of their energy to go and really, you know, create more value for people.
0: And really it, it's almost the same. You can you can relate it to brands. Right. If you're seeing a brand more and more and more, you're more likely to consume that brand. If I'm a VC fund and I'm seeing more, I'm seeing Matt all the time. Matt's there all the time. Oh, I see Matt. I see. I've got. I see him on Instagram. I see him on this. He reaches out. He comes in. Says hello, Matt. 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 Now I suddenly my brain trusts Matt. He's Matt's normal. I like Matt. Okay. Well, who's raising capital? Oh, Matt. Hey, Matt. How are you? You know, like (laughs) it's it, it really does work like that.
1: Yeah. Look. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you know it's to your point when you when you're a category leader and when you've spent so much time flooding the market with a good message, it has to be a good message because, you know, people say oh, all PR is good PR. No, that's not true. Good PR is good PR and good messaging is good messaging and doing the right thing by people, people will speak highly of you. And so the more of you, more of that you do, the more likely you are to be successful. Yeah. That saying was invented by PR agents who didn't prevent bad PR from
0: coming out. That's, <laughs> totally. that's, that's, that's where actually where it came from. It's, like, oh, no, it's still good people you're yeah. hey, Pay me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so be authentic. Build trust, build relationships with these VCs, even before you perhaps even need the money. Yeah, well, well, before as like the longer
1: you're doing it, the better yeah. position. And do it honestly. Yeah, do it honestly. Yeah, and, and that's that's the really, Yeah, authenticity is the most important thing, and that's that's the same as when you put your deck in front of a VC. So when you go and you spend all of this time and money building your brand and doing all of your financial modeling and all of the rest of it. You want to be aggressive in your vision, so you want to be saying, "I want to go out and achieve really, really big things." But then authentic in, you know, how you think you'll get there and what mm. your gaps are. Because as a VC, I'm happy to invest in a founder who understands what their gaps are. I won't invest in a founder who says they've got everything covered and they know everything and their model's going to be to the moon, uh, because you know they don't have the proof points necessarily where we're investing at early stage. I'll be much more likely to say, "Oh, this founder said, you know." really deep domain expertise, you know, great product coming along, you know, some early sales but they don't understand how to build marketing or community, I go, okay, well, we can fix that with resourcing or talent. Hmm.
0: That's that – it's honesty. Yeah. And it, it when you find – when you see someone being honest, you trust them more. Yeah. You know, for example, uh, on Monday I sent out my Monday email to all the members as I always do and I told them, oh, look, you know, due to my bad negotiation skills, uh, we missed out on the CBD space that I really wanted. But not to worry, I'm going to find a better Super one Super anyway. sad
1: to hear about that, mate. But oh, I, no, I, we've
0: got another kick-ass one. Yeah? Don't, yeah, don't, don't ever underestimate me. I've got a <laughs> oh, big no, mouth. No, 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 I, I say a lot are. of things, but I always back it up. <laughs> oh, I know you will. I'll probably get something twice as good now. But <laughs> well, I see where you are now right, right now. Mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I sit <laughs> on my balcony. I look for buildings that I want to be. You just <laughs> need to buy this building. <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 soon, my friend, soon. Yeah. <laughs> but um, um, uh, where was I? Um, where was I? Oh yeah. So I said that I missed the, I missed the, um, the space and I got this, I thought, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but I got a lot of influx of member replies saying, oh mate, you know, don't, don't you know, don't underestimate yourself. Good work. Love the positive. All these people who are like, oh, he was honest. He didn't just say, best. you know, it, and I, I bet you that show that builds an element of trust. Cause it's yeah. like, well, if he's going to tell you something he's done missed or done wrong
1: or bad, he's, that's a trustworthy person. Well, you just got a little plus 1 in your likability score 100%. Yeah, like it's yeah. cuz similar concept.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that, and what? So, what else? So, be authentic, trust. What else can they do to look more pretty? <laughs> Again, so that, that looking more know, pretty I'll is check. not of yeah. it. Um, I, I think the the it's, yeah. a, it's not a VC fund run by me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you do you do very well, mate. But um,
1: I think I think uh, you know some some of the other things that we look for, of course, is you know um, in founding teams we love to find teams that have got what we call the the holy trinity. So uh, there's a little bit of my religion. Just background coming out there but you know we love uh, you know the hipster the hacker and the hustler we love seeing a team that is fully formed now the reason for that is now sole founders can be very successful and some of them build billion dollar companies two-person co-founding teams amazing build big companies but when you have the three it does it does three things one an early stage company with the three founders who can cover the three core parts of scaling a business move faster They've just got the ability to solve for the problems, not tread on each other's toes. Um, The other thing is it creates a circuit breaker. So if, if, you know, if one person says yes and one person says no, you have a third person who can break the tie. And so, again, that gives you speed. When you have two people, you have deadlock, and when you have one person, you're just making a bunch of fuck-ups because you haven't got all of those humans that you can go and tap on.
0: That's really interesting. I'll tell you why. I've never thought about it from the investor's point of view. You know, I've always thought about it from a founder's point of view, which is, no, I want to be the only one because then I own the most and I can do what I want. Yeah. But from an investor, you, you're saying, no, no, we don't go for you – know, for an investor, your goal is to find the most the, – the business that has the highest opportunity for success. Correct. And the business with the higher opportunity for se- success is the three-person one for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. You know, two people always split up. They always have a divorce in business. It happens all the time. Of course. Three people, because they, like the reason you said, three people prevents that. Yeah. It also gives you a much bigger workforce at the very start. And uh, uh, that's really interesting. So three people is the magic number.
1: Oh, look, I think three people, as long as the skills are the right level of of, of difference, is definitely a, a real uh, strength for teams. And, you know, I think, you know, the other thing is when, when you have three, um, to your point when you talk about breakups, you also have a bench. So if one goes, you've still got two to go carry on the business, not one. And when you think about ownership, like, you know, being the one founder of the one franchise of a store, great. You built one store and you made yourself maybe a little bit more comfortable. Yep. But, you know, maybe if you'd had a business partner, you would have had 100 stores and maybe you had three partners, you might have had McDonald's. Yeah, my, old like man, my old
0: man always says 1% of something is better than 100% of nothing.
1: Completely and right. Is, yeah. That's that's the rule.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. And so you obviously have quite, I guess, an empathetic or authentic system towards building relationships, dealing with clients and people, I'm going to assume you carry that over with building your team?
1: Yeah, look, I I tend to trust first. Like that's always been a a personal thing for me. Uh, I tend to try to hire people that, uh, you know, one I, I like to hire good humans. I like to hire people that I can have a beer with, or a wine with, or a, you know, a glass of water with if they don't drink. But I get on well with them. You know, like I, I think we don't
0: hire them a cup uh, if they don't drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. I'm, 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 I'm being new age. Most of the kids aren't drinking these days, mate. They're all oh, drinking God. this liar or uh, yeah, heaps normal or stuff, pl- yeah. plug for heaps normal. One of my other investments. <laughs> what, what is um, it? we we'll as well say what it is uh, now. Come on, he, 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 heaps normal is a oh, uh, heaps normal. Heaps, normal heaps is like. Heaps, heaps, or like heaps, heaps, like heaps. Like, oh, I'm going to drink heaps. I'm going to drink heaps. Heaps okay. heaps normal, okay. uh, which is an alcohol-free beer that tastes good. So that's kind of, you know, it doesn't like a lot of the alcohol-free beer. beers. If it is a beer. It's a real beer without alcohol. that tastes amazing. And I can tell you um, I made a pledge while my, my wife was pregnant that I wouldn't drink with her and I wish heaps normal had been there because I was drinking this shit alcohol-free beer that tasted terrible. I would have loved heaps normal to have been there.
0: But it's got no alcohol.
1: It's got no so alcohol. So you can drink – you can, you could, I could be sitting here, you could be 9am and cracking one. And well, why totally do you drink it? It's normal. It tastes good. It's for uh, the flavor for the flavor, for the enjoyment of drinking a cold beer. And yeah, it's okay, great. That's kind of
0: cool. Yeah. Um, each to their own. <laughs> 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 okay. So team, you focus on trust people you want to have a beer with. I've yep. heard that saying before, our members uh, from Hawks Brewing, you know, the beer company, yep. they said that's a, that's a rule they have in hiring. You know, we hire people that we'd want to sit down and have a beer with. Totally. Um, what, and, and, and in your hiring process, how do you identify the people that are the best fit? Because, um, I mean, building a team is by far, in my opinion, the hardest thing any business can do. It's definitely the hardest thing that Cub goes through. It's just building the team correctly and appropriately um, and actually going through the difficulty of growing a team, yep. which takes time, you almost realise – why the huge companies have such su- such strict systems and operations? Because people become chop and change. Like, okay, if you if, if you ask for more money or you do this, yep, you're out. Next person in. If you you know, like, it, you, it, if you want to leave, doesn't matter. Next person, we can get in because this system is like they almost took the. You can. Un- I'm not saying that's how I want business. Definitely, cut. But I don't want it to be corporate anyway. But you can see why that ended up there. It's like it reduces your human not error, it reduces the reliability of the team. It yep. gives the power to the business. Totally.
1: I, I think, you know, it's it's interesting because I've I've been a big corporate hire and a manager in big businesses and, and run big teams and I've been a startup guy who's built teams from, you know, zero to one and, you know, quite a lot in the middle. And so I think it's it's interesting. So when you think about early stage hiring and when you think about hiring somebody for a smaller team, you're looking at people that are, you know, low friction, Um, you know, like low friction in in terms of the way they fit into your culture. You're looking for people that are 10X lifters. So you're looking for people that can really do more than what it says on their job description every day who buy in deeply to what the problem is that you're trying to solve uh, and who genuinely care about it. When you're a bigger business, um, you know you're typically hiring for expertise for the cog that fits into the the place that you need in the machinery, and so it's a very different style of hiring. You know, when you're early stage or when you're building a fast growing business, you want to hire all A team members. You want to hire people that are alpha and growing fast and want to want to really just make something ambitious, and, ambitious mm. and impact driven and whatever it might and, be. And,
0: and I don't know, I can't remember how you described it, but but can do a bit of everything. For example, yeah. Laura, I think Laura was the third team member that we we got laura's done waitressing laura's done reception laura's done uh, content creation laura's done sales uh well, <laughs> when you were doing sales what were well, you doing sales um, assistance right and then eventually we figured out what she's amazing at and she became a brand manager and obviously she's not moving from there now so she, she but but that, to, to my point very early stage staff member They can do a bit of everything because, you know, you need people to do things. You want malleability.
1: You want people that can literally fill the gap that you have at the time you have it and do a good job of it. Mm. And so, you know, whereas when you're a big company, you're trying to look for the expertise gap that you have. You've got a matricy of all of the skills that are needed in your business to move the business one of an inch and you know exactly which cog fits that place, and that's why you have bench strategy. So you are constantly recruiting, constantly hiring, constantly building your bench. Working with hundreds of recruitment agencies and understand your bench makeup, and you're constantly adding those individual pieces. What do you mean by bench maker? So basically, having like a, a having a pipeline of talent, and everyone should have a pipeline of talent also. But you know, having a much larger pipeline of talent that you can quickly go and fill in the gaps. Yeah. See, we need that. How do you do that? Well I think there's a number of ways I think you've done you know, some really great stuff in terms of obviously building a community and building a brand. And so brand and community is one of the best places to find people because you know people can actively see what you're building and what you're doing and, and associate with it and people that are associated with something are much more likely to join. And so you know I've seen some high growth companies build, wait lists for employees so would you like to work with us one day tell us tell us your skill sets tell us the things you'd like to do and what you'd like to achieve and they then join the newsletter and they join the the meetups and all of the things that are associated with that brand Uh, and then when the opportunity pops up hey we've got a really nice opportunity well they're
0: they're in the list of people you're going to review for the opportunity i love that we're doing that as of tomorrow
1: awesome love it and yeah, the best is part cool. is you've got to know those people over a period of time so you know if you like them. You know mm-hmm. if they're going to be useful to you. you could know. even invite them to things totally. so come into the office for Friday drinks. Absolutely. Invite them to everything. Get them into all yeah. your community events, whatever it might be.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a really cool idea. I like the idea of waitlist period in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, it, 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 it. Uh, don't pay me yet. Yeah. Now you can. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Waitlist and software are like, we don't have any software to sell you yet, but we really want to sell it to you the yeah. minute it's ready. Like, you know. Let us build it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, let's move to the uh, quote part of the podcast. <laughs> um, now, you've got here in your prep sheet, your favorite book is Sapiens. Yes. Yeah, I don't know why because you get mentioning outliers, but Sapiens apparently is your favorite book and <laughs> you've read it over
1: five times. Why is why? All right, so so Outliers would, was my favourite book before reading Sapiens, and okay. Outliers is still a book I've taken a lot from. I really like Zero to One by Peter Thiel as well, uh, because it's it's kind of the antithesis sort of view of of uh, of Outliers. Um, however, uh, Sapiens is a book that I believe truly made me look at the world in a different way. Um, and the reason for that, *Sapiens* unpicks civilization and the evolution of humans, and and kind of how we've grown from, you know, from uh, scratching ourselves to hunter gatherers to uh, to you know to actually building farms and building mm. civilizations, and. You know, one of the things that the most important lesson for me in that book is, you know, everything we have today, the fact we're sitting on a podcast, the fact that we're members of a club, the fact that, you know, we're sitting in an apartment overlooking a bridge, you know, these things are all human inventions, they're all human creations, they're human constructs, they're social contracts between us as people, that we will agree that that's called a bridge, and we cross it, and we pay money to cross it, or we join a club because we want to be associated with like minded people. Human constructs, And once you understand that all of this is human constructs, social contracts, you can start to look for the gaps in these social contracts to find new opportunity. And so…
0: Or go even deeper. Yeah. Let's stretch the mind. <laughs> so with Kav, I'll speak about because I understand it. Now a bridge is a human construct in that we have to pay. Someone builds a bridge, therefore we have to pay for that bridge to be built. And yes, we use it to cross. It's, pro- it's solved the problem. However, something like Cub, I would argue is is deeper than the than a human construct. It is an evolutionary need. It's human beings need each other they need social they, they
1: need so the social construct exists because we need it oh well maslow's hierarchy I'm, I'm sure you've you've read maslow's hierarchy of needs like you know association belonging is one of the biggest needs that a yeah. human has
0: because it, it, it does everything it allows yeah. you to achieve more it provides you more security think about it back in the day if i was in the jungle if i got kicked out of the tribe big ass lion's gonna kill me in like two totally. seconds yeah I'll probably take one of them but if two more came up. <laughs> have a good fun. go <laughs> 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 but if my vault if all the crews there we'll spear that guy you know yeah. like um, it, that's a stupid way of saying that you, you're much stronger together in a group whether it be to leverage knowledge, business knowledge, whether it be to share a, a, a business opportunities together, yeah. whether it be just to relate to each other, whether it be to build friends in similar you know relationships to you. People have d- different communities. You've got your family community, you've got your friendship community, and our members also have their cub community, which totally. is their business community. It's, it's a, it's almost deeper than, um, human con- I don't even know why I'm talking about this but it is almost deep my point was in business you can look at the human co- the constructs but you can also look at what makes us human totally. and build build constructs yeah. <laughs> well, around those things yeah, yeah. And, i think
1: the important thing is it's it's understanding humanity and why we build constructs yes. and why we agree to social contracts and then identifying where the opportunities lie within that to either create new ones and mm. to invite people in. And, you know, you've done an incredible job of creating one. And, mm. and, in fact, you've probably created many, many, many of them and people have signed up to that. Um, and then the ability to go and say, well, how do, I, how do I best perform within that construct?
0: Yeah, why is that construct there? How yeah. can, and, it, or, and how could we even make it better? Correct. How could we build a different bridge, a better bridge? Yep. You know, awesome, man. And your favourite quote, which I believe you love, Winston Churchill...
1: Yeah, I, look, I love I, him too. He's I, the man. Yeah, he's he is absolutely the man. Look, he's he said a bunch of quotes that again, you know, back to my my first boss, I wouldn't repeat any of them on a podcast. I probably won't repeat some of his, but you know, I'm I'm a massive uh, fan of, of of Churchill. I'm a massive cigar smoker as well, and so you know, I love I love uh, Churchill cigars. But um, Do you, you drink Alcohol. I do, mate. Real yeah. Alcohol. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. So, you have it. What, what do you drink when you have a cigar? Oh, mate, I'm a big whiskey drinker.
0: Oh, you should come over. We'll yeah. get chill in the balcony. We'll have a whiskey, Sounds have a amazing, cigar. Mate, we'll yeah. get a few mem- other
1: members. It'll be awesome. mad. It's yeah. totally all good. Yeah, yeah. no, I've got a big collection of cigars, mate. Happy to bring some around. Oh, well,
0: I have two at the clubhouse. I've got some like awesome. hand rolled from Cuba and I've got the video of the guy rolled. Anyway, oh, after the Beautiful. Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll
1: get count on that later. Um, I think the thing for me, you know, Churchill said some incredible things that were all about drumming up. Uh, you know, national pride or construct pride to go out there and tackle some of the biggest problems that were facing humanity at the time of Churchill's, uh, you know, uh, uh, leadership. And so, you know, one of my favourites is is never give in. Uh, And he goes on to repeat never, never, never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except con- to convictions of honour and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. So basically stand tall and fight, fight for what you believe in, fight Goliath and only only wane uh, in the protection of God family country. Uh, And I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, that sort of relentless spirit is required to get out of bed every day and just tackle the hundred hour week you need to be super Mm -hmm. successful. Um, And then, you know, my other favorite quote, I'm giving you two from Churchill is it's not enough that we do our best. Sometimes we must do what is required. I love that. Yeah. And you know, the, the thing there is, you know, you can be working hard on things every day of your life. And if you're not you know, uh, you know, if you're not tackling the hard things, if you're avoiding the hard conversations, then you never achieve your full potential. So you've got to go out there and break those constructs and go and fight life every day.
0: I love that. It was easy. Everyone would do it. Totally. Awesome. Let's leave it there. Uh, matey, thank you so much for, for coming on today. That was a brilliant conversation. I learned a lot and I hope the listeners did too. And uh, to the listeners, if you want to uh, find out more about Matt, or key books and other things, go to cub.club forward slash podcast. You have all the information there. Uh, If you want to reach out to Matt, do so on his LinkedIn. You have LinkedIn, don't you? I do have LinkedIn. Yes. What's your LinkedIn?
1: Uh, Matthew J. Brown from memory.
0: Awesome. Hit him up on LinkedIn. Just say you heard about it at cub. If you remember, come to uh, reach out to your membership manager and they'll hook you up. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show.
1: Thank you.